All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. Last week we looked at chapter 1 and we saw the prophet Habakkuk had become uh, troubled by the wickedness and the ungodliness of his nation. And he began to pray and cry out to God and ask God, do you see what's going on in our country? Do you, do you, mind, do you even care what's going on? And God answers him and he says, so I'm going to do something. He said, but you're not going to believe what I'm going to do. And uh, God explained to Habakkuk that he was going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to um, conquer the nation of Israel to punish them for their sin. And Habakkuk was taken by surprise by this because the Babylonians were even more evil than the Israelites. And so Habakkuk is confused and he says, I don't understand, God. I don't understand what you're doing. Let me ask you something. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where something's going on in your life and, and you just don't understand it? And you say, God, I don't understand. What are you doing? What's going on? I prayed, Lord, and you answered, but you didn't answer the way I thought you would. Or you didn't answer the way I wanted you to. You see, God didn't answer the way that Habakkuk thought he would. And Habakkuk was totally taken by surprise. The main themes of the book of Habakkuk are the mystery of God's ways. And God as a judge and the, the needed response of faith during trying circumstances. In chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, it says, Then they will sweep through the wind, through, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose power is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Yahweh, have placed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to reprove. And in these two verses, Habakkuk reminds himself of the great attributes of God. Uh, Habakkuk was, he was perplexed over the vision of the Babylonians conquering Judah. And, and he, he applied the principles of who God is to his problem. Do you ever face problems? You ever have trouble? Do you, you do, really? Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. But what do we, where do we look? You know, often turning to God is our last resort. You know, I find myself troubled and, and, and facing a circumstance I don't understand, and I begin to talk to everybody about it except God. But Habakkuk says, I'm going to turn to the Lord about this. And, and there in verse 12 of chapter 1, he reminds himself, and he's praying and saying, God, I know who you are. And he says that if God is holy then he knows that the outcome of the invasion of the Babylonians, which is caused by God, will not be for evil, but for good. Now, I'm sure the people of Israel did not look at it that way. As I said last week, the prophet Jeremiah 
At the same time that Habakkuk is is struggling here, Jeremiah is preaching to the people and he's telling them the Babylonians are coming and they're going to conquer you. And God has said when they get here, you are to submit to them. Now that didn't go over too well. And they threw Jeremiah in prison because of it. But Habakkuk is saying, look, I know, God, that you are holy. You are from everlasting. He said, we will not die. Lord, I know you're in control here, but I still don't understand what's going on. And in chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 3. He says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may respond when I am reproved. Then Yahweh answered me and said, Write down the vision and write it on tablets distinctly that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants towards its end and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. So what we have here at this point is an answer to the first half of Habakkuk's problem. He can see the ultimate purpose of of the coming invasion, but he's still troubled by the fact that God is going to use a nation even more ungodly than Israel is to uh, punish Israel. And, And so here's what Habakkuk does. He commits his problem to the Lord. He says, Lord, I don't understand. Please explain to me what's going on. And then he says, I will stand at my guard post. Some translations use, I will go to my watchtower. And basically what Habakkuk is saying here, uh, his his frame of mind, he said, you know, how can we see the ultimate purpose of this? He says, I'm going to wait and see what God will say to me. And, And this brings the question, how do we leave a problem with God. How do we leave it there? How do we take something and lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my problem. I don't understand it. I'm confused by it. I'm afraid of it. I don't know what's going on. And just leave it there and say, okay, God, I'm laying this at your feet. Here it is. How do we lay, how do we leave a problem with God? Habakkuk commits the problem to God in faith. We should, the first thing that Habakkuk did was he detached himself from his problem. He took it. He was down in the valley. He laid his problem before the Lord. And he says, now I'm going to go up to my guard post. I'm going to go up to my watch post. Now what he's saying is, I'm going to go about the business God called me to do. And I'm going to leave this problem in the hands of God. He says, I don't have the answer. I don't know what's going on. So I'm going to leave this and, and detach myself from this. And, and he's saying, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave this with God. One of the most important principles of the Christian life, but one that is precisely where we go astray. We have a problem. We take it to the Lord in prayer. We go to our knees. We tell God that this thing is worrying us. We tell God that we cannot solve it ourselves. We tell God that we don't understand. We ask God to deal with it, to show us the way through this. And then we get up from our knees. And we continue to worry about it. 
Listen, when we do that, we've not left it with God. Have you ever found yourself with a, with, with a circumstance or with a, a, a problem that you just did not know what to do about? And even if you did know what to do about it, there was no way you could do it. That's where Habakkuk found himself. And, and, and we, we take it to the, God, to the Lord. Uh, you know, the moment we get up from our knees, we begin to worry about the problem again. We tell others about the problem, and usually from the wrong motive. We have this idea that if I just tell everybody the trouble I'm going through, then that'll help. I want to tell you, sometimes that hurts more than it helps. And sometimes we do it from the wrong motives. We say, oh, let me tell you about this deep spiritual struggle I've got. So that you can see what a deep spiritual person I am. So we have to be careful with it. You see, Habakkuk, we don't see him going to anyone else. He took it to the Lord. He said, I'm going to leave it with you, God, and I'm going to go up and I'm going to continue to do what you called me to do while I wait to hear from you. Now, you know, we, we always hear, you know, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And we should wait on the Lord. But waiting, Habakkuk did not go up into the watchtower or his guard post. He didn't go up there. Lay his head down, put his feet up and say, okay, God, I'm just going to stay here to you give me an answer. That's not what he did. He went up, he went to, to about doing the business that God had called him to do. We need to leave it with God just as Habakkuk did. Once you leave it with God, you don't have the right. Hey, now listen to this. Once we leave a problem with God, I don't have the right to talk about it or brood over it or worry about it. Because I've left it with him. We must expect. You see, Habakkuk says, I'm not going to go up there and see if God says something to me. He says, I will wait and say what he will seek to me. He says, I will see what God, he expected God to answer. Many times when we face our trials and our troubles and whatever it is that we take to the Lord and we walk away, we don't expect God to answer. You know, Jesus said that we are to keep on knocking, keep on asking. Just because we leave something with God and stop worrying about it doesn't mean that we forget about it. Habakkuk at his guard post doesn't mean that he's doing nothing. He continued his work as a prophet and he waited to see what God would say to him. How do we look for God's answer? How do we leave something with God? We leave it by faith. How do we, how do we uh, look for God's answer? We look for it by faith, but basically God speaks primarily to you and I through the Word of God. This is why you should make it a daily habit to be in God's Word, prayerfully in God's Word. And, and, and many times we, we have a problem, we, we've prayed it, we've left it with God, and then we're one day we're there and we're reading through God's Word and all of a sudden a verse will just leap out to us or a passage leaps out to us and you say, there's my answer. And God says, yes, I've given it to you. But we must be in God's word. Uh, we should be persistent in our expectation. Habakkuk says that he's going to stay at his guard post until God answers. Verse 4 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Paul quotes it in Romans and in Galatians. The book of Hebrews quotes it. 
You may have heard this before. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right with him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Verse 4 is the central revelation of this prophecy. And to understand verse 4 is to understand the gospel. To understand verse 4 is to understand our Christian life. Listen, when we get saved, we are saved by faith, through faith in Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible also tells us that we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you had lived in the time of Habakkuk and you had been a, an Israelite living during this time and, and you've got the prophet Jeremiah telling you and you've got Habakkuk telling you the, the, the Babylonians are coming and when they get here, they're going to conquer you. And as we're going to see in a minute, but Habakkuk's going to tell them, but that's not the end of it. But if you had been a, a Jew living during that time and you, you know the Babylonians are coming, here they come, they're coming, they have conquered you, they're carrying you back to their land. And in your mind, you're probably thinking, it's over. This is it. Our hope is gone. But you see, they should have known better because Jeremiah and Habakkuk both are going to tell them, no, this is not the end. God will bring you back. But they had forgotten that. But that's what faith does. Faith says, I know what God has said in his word. And regardless of what my circumstance looks like, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how high and, and boisterous the waves are, I'll keep my eyes on Christ. And by faith, I'll trust God. And this is what, here's what God's trying to teach Habakkuk. Same thing he's trying to teach us. Do you, God says, do you trust me? Do you trust God? I would challenge anyone in this room this morning, anyone listening to me, to tell me one time that you have ever had God fail you. Ever. There are none. And we can trust God. And so Habakkuk is learning here. The true believer will live by faith in the one who keeps us, not only in the moment of our initial belief, but in every single moment of life. The remainder of chapter 2 sets before us the way of faith and the way of unbelief. <clears throat> Look at verse 5. And indeed, wine betrays the haughty man. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. And indeed, wine betrays the haughty man, so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and assembles to himself all peoples. Will not all these lift up a taunt song against him, even satire <clears throat> and riddles against him? And say, woe to him who increases what, what is not his for how long and makes himself rich with loans. Will you will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who make you tremble awaken? Indeed, you will become spoil for them because you have taken many nations as spoil. All that is left of the peoples will take you as spoil because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. 
Woe to him who is greedy for evil gain for his house to put his nest on high to be delivered from the hand of evil. You have counseled a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against your own soul. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not, behold, from Yahweh of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drink so as to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than glory. Now you yourselves drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup of Yahweh's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. What profit is the graven image when its maker has engraved it or a molten image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own making when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to you who say to a piece of wood, awake to a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all inside it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, what's happening here is God has answered Habakkuk. Habakkuk has gone to his watchtower, gone to his guard post. He's doing. He's going about doing the business that God called him to do, and God has answered him. And the answer is this. God has says, yes, the Chaldeans are coming. The Babylonians are going to overrun the nation. They're going to take you captive and all of this. He said, but that's not the end of it. He says, I will judge this nation who has attacked you, this nation that God calls. There, there are five woes of the Babylonians. The first woe there in first bound in verses six through eight. Uh, those who plundered the earth will themselves be plundered. We understand the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they were a ruthless people. They followed many different gods, but they would come and they showed no mercy to the people. Those they didn't kill, they took back to, to Babylon and made them, made them slaves. And so God has promised them, he's saying, look, the first woe is that those who plundered them will, will themselves be plundered. In verses 9 through 11, he talks about the second woe. He condemns those who seek security and economic gain at the expense of others. And this is what they had done. The third woe pronounces judgments on the ruthless but futile efforts of the tyrant to perpetuate his fame. And verse 14 is, is, is in particularly wonderful verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is a great promise to the nation of Israel right here that he's given and to all of us. He's saying the Babylonians are coming. Your, your, your problem is this. I am going to judge a sinful nation. I'm going to judge this nation by sending the Chaldeans to overtake, to, to, to overrun you and to conquer you. He said, but know this, that the time will come 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. This speaks of the millennial reign of Christ that is still yet to come. So he's, he's giving them a word of hope in the midst of telling them what's going to happen to them. God does that. Isn't that wonderful? You know, that you and I, as believers, listen, we, a few weeks ago I preached a message on this. We need to understand that the life of a Christian is the life of suffering. Jesus told us this time after time after time, but he also gives us the promise. He says, in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. In other words, he says, yes, you may be enduring suffering. You may be enduring heartache. You may be enduring uh, sickness or whatever it is. He says, but let me tell you something. If you are belong to me, it won't last forever. There is a time coming when I will make everything right. And this is the promise that he has given to them. The fourth woe found in verses 15 through 17 pronounces judgment on Babylon's sadistic treatment of others. They were a ruthless people. The fifth woe found in verses 18 through 20, it denounces the idolatry, the worship of false gods. See, here's what the Babylonians did. They came in just as God did. God's the one that brought them in. And they conquered and they left Jerusalem. They left the temple in ruins. They completely destroyed it. And they carried many captive and took them back. And then the Babylonians said, look what our gods have done. And he told the Israelites, they said, your God must not really be very much or he wouldn't have let this happen to you. And they were prideful and they gave the glory to their false gods. Listen, <clears throat> to the aggressively proud, God says, be still and know that I am God. It's as if to say to the lost, to the proud, to the haughty, to those like Babylon, I am not like your idols. I am not like your false gods molded by your hands for your own convenience. And you know that's what we've done today. We have created a God in our own image. A God that is the glorified us. Psalm 50 and verse 20. God says, here's the mistake you made. You thought that I was like you. But this is what we've done. God says, I made you and I shaped you uh, who you are. And, and I know when your life will end. And he says to the proud and to, the, to, to those who would reject him, he says, you must silence your opposition of me. I see so many times... Those who reject Christ, who hate Christianity, and they, you know, I've heard people say, I even had a guy actually say this to me one time. I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are going to be. Having no idea what he was saying. Having no idea that even if his friends are there, he's not going to care. But I want to tell you, there is not one who will spend an eternity in hell that will make an accusation against God.
they will stand before him on the day of judgment. And God will say to them, here's my son. What did you do with him? Did you reject him or accept him? Do you believe the gospel or not? And they'll have no excuse. When he says to them, why? Why would you not believe the gospel? They're not going to answer him. They'll be silent before him. And to the troubled believer, God says, be still and know that I am God. Here's what Habakkuk learned. He, 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 he said, Lord, I don't understand this. I love my nation. Yes, they deserve judgment. Yes, they deserve your wrath. They're a godless nation. But God, how could you do this? And he says, but God, I'm going to trust you. And God says to him, Habakkuk, be still and know that I am God. We look around and we say, okay, why does this happen? Why does that happen? God, this is your church, Lord. How could you let that happen in your church? And we take the lesson from Habakkuk where we say, you know what? I'm going to stand back. I'm going to be still and know that he's God. See, let me tell you something. And, and, and I hope this brings great comfort to you. It does to me. This church, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And whatever happens in it, he will deal with it. And many times, he's the one that causes certain things to happen in the church. And he says to you and I, he says, look, as my people, you just go about what I told you to do. You let me take care of these things. He says, I hold you in my hands and I hold your enemies in my hand. I say, I hold in my hand those who threaten you and although they may do my will, they will never destroy my people. You know, God told the psalmist, told David, he said, you know, he said, when you can tell me on what foundation the earth sits, then I will destroy my people Israel. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us, <clears throat> Jesus says to you and I, to his church, well, in, first in Matthew, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have his promise. Habakkuk had God's promise. He said, Habakkuk, I understand what you see. I understand your problem. I understand how you feel. He said, but know this, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of me like the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where everybody loves God and wants to serve God and belongs to God? And he's given them the promise that one day that will come. So believer, I ask you this morning, are you confused? Are you perplexed? Are you afraid concerning whatever situation you might be in? There's only one thing we can do. We take it to God in prayer. We leave it with him. We wait for him to answer. We expect him to answer. We look to God in faith and say, Lord, 
I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust you. Do you trust God? We need to quiet our hearts. Look to God in reverence and let His words be the dominant element in our worship. Not our words, but His. And though the world should rise up against us, the righteous will live by His faith. It is by faith in a righteous God alone that we can stand against any trouble, any enemy, any circumstance. Look at verse 20. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Oh, it's such a beautiful verse right there. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk had begun in an effort to understand the mysterious ways of a holy God with sinful people. And now he stands in the Lord's holy temple in reverential awe. Are you in awe of God this morning? Have you ever been in awe? I mean, have you ever just got on your knees and you just don't know what to say? You say, because you were filled with such love and appreciation and awe of who God is. Have you ever done that? This is where Habakkuk is. And, and we're going to see in the next chapter, that whole chapter is going to be a one long prayer of Habakkuk and saying, God, you're God. And there's none like you. He stands in the Lord's holy temple with reverential awe. He stands assured of the abiding lordship of God, of his justice in prosecuting all violators of his holy law, and of his infinite mercy in granting life to all who will trust in him, and in the provision that he has promised to every one of us. You know, when I was studying for this, this, this message this morning, going through this chapel, and I read there in verse 14 and verse 20, and I mean, it just, it just caught me, especially verse 20. Just took me by surprise. And I don't know what I, what I mean by that is, I read it, and it's like, it, it, it's almost like the Lord was saying, do you understand what you just read there in verse 20? And in verse 14, that the day is coming. He says, you look and you see, uh, and today we see a definite decline in Christianity in the West. We see our churches just going to the wayside. And I look at it and it breaks my heart when I see people who just walk away from churches for the most ridiculous reasons. It breaks my heart as a pastor, as a preacher, as a Christian. And it breaks my heart when I see the, the, the churches that are filled with people and preachers up there who are preaching anything but the Word of God. And I want to cry out and say, Lord, do you even see what's going on? But God assures me, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And just as God had pronounced these five woes against Chaldeans for what they were going to do to his people Israel, God has promised us that those who persecute his church will be dealt with. Not by me, not by you, but by him. You know, it's interesting. You know what? Turn, turn with me over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Let me find right quick what I'm looking for here. Oh, give me just a second, folks. Maybe it's chapter 5 I'm looking for. Yes, it is. Chapter 5. Uh, look at verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be guilty before the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering to, at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last quadrants. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed, already committed adultery with her in his heart. But if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his, of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your garment also. And whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, do you notice something that Jesus says in all of those, in that whole passage right there? He is telling us to do things we cannot do. Things that are totally contrary to our nature. He says that if someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. Now I want to uh, make you understand right there that Jesus there is not talking about being assaulted by someone. If I am assaulted, he gives us, the Bible gives us the opportunity and the right to defend ourselves. What he's talking about is slander. What he's talking about is an insult. He says, turn the other cheek, turn away from it. He says, if someone takes you to court, he said, you know what? Make friends with them quickly and get it settled before you get there. He says, if you, uh, he says, you've heard it said that you were to uh, love those who love you and hate those who hate you. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies. This is totally contrary to who we are, totally contrary to what we are. But what he says is, you do this, in the end, I will make all things right. That's what he's saying in the book of Habakkuk. He's saying, I know what's going on. I know you see this, but don't worry. I will make all things right. But too often we have this idea, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Don't we? We have that prideful attitude. And God says, really? You know, the nation of Israel, they were no different than we are. They loved their country. They would fight for their country. They were patriotic. And when Jeremiah said, they're coming and you're to bow down to them, they said, oh no, you don't know who we are. And God says, I know who you are and I'm telling you what to do there. And Jesus said, there in that passage, give up all rights to yourself. We have no rights. We're slaves of Christ. A slave has no rights. And what Habakkuk found out was, no matter what the enemy does to me, no matter what he takes from me, no matter what he does to me physically, in the end, God has said, I will make everything right. As he tells us in Romans 13, Paul says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the, and, and, and all of this comes down to this right here. Do we trust God? Do we trust him? When, when, when the answer to our prayer is long in coming, do we trust God that He's still going to answer? When the answer comes and it's not what we expected, it's not what we wanted, do we still trust God? Because you see at one point here in chapter 1, Habakkuk was basically saying to God when he told him what was going to happen, Habakkuk basically said, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? Now, fortunately, 
God didn't strike him dead at that moment because he understood. And sometimes we look at God and say, Lord, do you know what you do? Do you know what's happening to us here? Do you, do you even see what we're going through? Do you even see the trouble and the pain and the, and the trials that we're enduring? And God says, I not only see it, I'm going to take care of it. But we got to remember this. God will take care of it in God's way. And God will take care of it in God's time. Not mine. Believe it or not, God does not have a timetable. God is not, uh, you know, I say, you know what, I got, a, I got a lot of things I got to do today. And, you know, I only have 24 hours in a day. God doesn't have, he, he's not, doesn't have that problem. God says, I will take care of it in my time and in my way. All you have to do is trust me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that you have given us the promise in your word. <clears throat> Help us this morning to recognize and understand that you are God. Help us to, to be in awe of who you are. Lord, we thank you for the promise that the day is coming when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of you as the oceans cover the sea, uh, cover the land. Father, we thank you that you are here in your holy temple. May we be silent before you. Lord, that we may just understand that you are God. Lord, you have never failed us and you will never help us to trust you father whatever each one of us listening may be going through no matter what it is god we know that in the end you will make all things right for you are the god who does what is right lord forgive us forgive our unbelief Forgive us, Father, for the times that we become impatient with you. For the times that we don't like your answer. And just help us to trust you, God. And to know that you are working all things together for good. To those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to him 157.